Welcome to the Better Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Tuesday the 16th of February 2010, entitled Facing Life's Testing Times, and the Bible reading is taken from James chapter 1. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. I'm like the lightning bug that backed into the fan. I'm delighted to be here. Amen. Some of you will get that. Some of you might not. But anyway... I want you to take your Bible open to James chapter number 1. Very quickly, I'll get right to the uh, message. James chapter number 1, we'll start at verse number 1, and I'll begin my reading there, and we'll get to our text in just a moment. But let me say this. God God does everything in your life for a reason. God makes no mistakes. Everything He's doing in your life is for His glory and your good. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Christians are like tea bags. You really don't know what they're made of until you put them in hot water. And folks, God may put you through some things that you may not understand on this side of heaven. But when you get on the other side, you're going to look back. And I've always said this, the will of God, preacher, is always easier looking that way than it is that way. When you're walking this way and you look back and see what God began to do in your life years ago, and you look back, you go, now understand what He was doing. But you know, there may be some things that you never understand on this side of heaven. Never. You know, the loss of a job, the the death of a family member, maybe prematurely in your mind at a young age. I just had a, a cousin die at 38 years of age, had to do her funeral. There may be things that happen in your life that on this side of heaven, you will never be able to accomplish an understanding in your mind of why it happened. But can I say this? God is too good to do you wrong and too wise to make a mistake. I want you to look at what the half-brother of Jesus wrote down in the book, in the book of James. Look at chapter number 1 and look at verse number 1. It says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ of the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Well, let patience have a perfect work. You may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything to the Lord. Let your eyes fall to verse number 12. It says, blessed or happy. That's what the word blessed means. Happy is the man that endureth temptation. Trials, testings. Happy is the man that endureth temptation, Romani, for we is tried. He shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. And I speak to you for just a few moments tonight on how to face life's testing times. On the way over here, preacher, we had to go and find out what was going on with one of the dear young ladies that comes to church. Her car broke down. Do you realize that every single day, Panos, that you live, 24-7, 52 weeks out of the year, 360 days out of every year, you're going to convene in God's school called Trials and Testings. And God puts daily quizzes in your life and major exams for one reason, to make you look more like His precious Son. Folks, those little daily quizzes may come in the form of a fender bender. (laughs) Hope not. But it may come in the form of a small car accident. may come as a common cold. 
You may be running a little short on finances. It may be that you got behind the slowest bus in Birmingham when you was already late for work. Amen? I don't know what the little daily quizzes are in your life, but every trial and every testing, the half-brother of Jesus, James, says, count it all joy. How do you do that? Well, we know sometimes how to do that and count it joy when we go through the little quizzes, but what about those major exams we go through? That major exam may be going to the doctor and finding out you've got cancer. It may be finding out that your mom or dad only has six months to live. It may be going to the job tomorrow or the next week and finding out that your employer does not need you anymore. You'll be unemployed. But it may come in the, fa- in, the, in, in the form of a broken and severed relationship. I don't know, Carl, what it is, but I'm here to tell you that God makes... And let me say this from here to the back row. God makes no mistakes. God knows exactly what you're going through, ma'am. God knows exactly what you're going through, sir. Oops and uh oh, never come across the mind of my Savior. He didn't make a mistake. He knows exactly what's going on in your life, and He's doing everything to make you look more like Jesus. So I want you to look at a few things with me tonight. I want you to look back at verse number 1. Claudius has spread persecution among the churches is going on. The first, Actually, this is one of the first letters. Matter of fact, the first letter written chronologically in the, uh, uh, the New Testament as far as the epistles are concerned. And James is saying to the, the, the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, listen, there's persecution going on. The church is being ransacked, if you will. They've been scattered. They've been slandered. Some are even being slaughtered. And you know what James says? He says in verse number 2, look at it. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Number one, I want you to see the reality of trials. Number one, the reality of trial. Done broke my watch. It's all right. Rather do it now than at 9.30. Amen. So I'll know what time it is, okay? I'll take it off. At least I'll keep up with the time. Most of you know I preach real, real fast and real, real short. Amen. The reality of trials, Romani, number one, I want you to look at verse number two. It says, my brethren, count it all what? What's the next word after that? When you fall into diverse temptations. Preacher didn't say if, it said when. May I say this? It ain't if, that's bad English, I know. It ain't if, but it's when. Folks, the reality of trials is, number one, they're definite. Trials in your life is not if, it's when they come. Job chapter 14, verse 1, Pastor Larry says, Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Jesus said this in John chapter number 16, verse 33, Mamani. He said, In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Our Savior conquered the death and hell, and He sits today on the throne that has the keys of hell and of death. And Peter, a man who knew something about persecution, wrote in 1 Peter chapter number 4, verse 12. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning this fiery trial which has come to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Don't go, well, I wonder what's going on now when something happens in your life. Don't think it's strange. You ought not say, why? You ought to say, why not me? We got too many people that sit around and try to question and wonder what's going on in their life and wonder if God is even in existence because it don't seem like He's moving. Let me tell you something, folks. When God's silent, it don't mean He's still. God's moving in the background. He's moving behind the scenes even when He don't speak. 
There were times when God was silent and he didn't speak, Steve. That doesn't mean he wasn't moving. Folks, number one, I want you to see that reality of trials is number one, they're definite. They will come. It's not if, but when. But number two, I want you to see this. They're not only definite, Tim, but they're different. Look at verse 2. He says, count it all joy when you fall into. The word fall means literally you're overtaken by. When you fall into what? Divers temptations. Most of you know that's old English. The word divers means various or multicolored testings. All sorts of. Folks, de- listen, trials in your life are not only definite, definite, but they are different. They'll come in all sizes, shapes, and colors. Sometimes they'll be very, very small, but other times they'll be very, very big. I've got a friend named Bob Kelly. Bob Kelly pastored the church in West Columbia, South Carolina, Grace Baptist Church. Large church, had a wonderful Christian school, and I had the privilege of preaching at the, uh, the end of school retreat, Tyler, the year before Pastor Kelly went to be with the Lord. He, he died. Had a thing called uh, Crutchfield-Jacobs disease. It was an operable brain problem, and it was a deteriorating thing to where he couldn't even, his motor skills wouldn't even tell his left hand to put something in his right before he'd drop it halfway. But folks, before that all took place, his wife had multiple sclerosis and he took care of his wife every single day, got her up every morning, put her clothes on, uh, uh, combed her beautiful uh, 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 white hair, and, and you know what? Took care of her. She was never able, preacher, to tell him how good a sermon he preached every Sunday, but he still every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, just like every day was duty day, he got up and he took care of his wife, even when he had Crutchfield J- Jacobs disease. I asked him when I was there, He had a year, they said, probably to live. Jim, I asked him, I said, how are you doing, sir? He said, I'm doing great. I said, well, I've heard differently. He said, well, you know, I've got Crutchfield Jacobs disease. He said, but can I tell you this? He said, for the last 28 years, I've pastored this church. And he said, I've taught my people for 28 years how to live. He said, for the next 12 months, I'm going to teach them how to die. And do you know what? He died well. I went to his funeral, Pastor Larry, and I sat there and I said, Pastor Kelly, you died well. You might have not lived a long life. You died at 63 years of age, but you died well. And you know what? It ain't, it ain't a bad thing if you don't live long and die well. But it's a bad thing if you live long and live that bad. How are you going to live? Are you going to live when the trust come? Is to be a little kid and kick the flat tire when it's already flat like that's going to pump it up? Poof. No, that's being immature. Be a complete, perfect, mature Christian. Don't be a two-year-old Christian the rest of your life in kindergarten having somebody have to change your diaper and warm your bottle. You grow up and be a king. Listen, a child of king. The trials are going to be definite, but number two, they're going to be different. I'm reading a book right now called Lay your, Laying Your Isaac Down. It's written by a couple I just met about a year ago. Their names are Jean and Carol Kent. Malcolm, this couple, had a son. They have a son named Jason. Jason married a beautiful young girl named April. What he didn't know when he met her, she was from a previous relationship. She had two children. Didn't make a bit of difference to him. He said, I, want, I love this woman and I'll be a good father of these two girls. So they got married. But what they didn't realize is that the, ex, the stepfather, the ex-husband, wanted to have the parental rights to the children without any supervised visitation. He had his concerns. 
He had heard some things and the girls had explained to him how he had been a very abusive in the relationship between father and daughter. Some other things were exposed and one day he drove the girls to the visitation. He took a shotgun from out in underneath the seat and he shot that stepfather because he was, he was molesting those two girls. Now that couple has written a book about laying your Isaac down. You know what? They went through a trial, folks, that a lot, a lot, of, people, a lot of people in here wouldn't even be able to identify with. What you going to do when life hits you broadsided like that? What do you do when, when your son is life now with, in prison for life without parole and he never had a thing on his record, but now he's in prison for the rest of his life and will never see his family again? That mother and that father are literally broken. But you know what she said? She said, I had to learn that God loves me more than I love my son. And he'll get me through this. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That's how you deal with a trial. The reality is they're definite, but they're different. They're going to come in all different sizes, shapes, and colors. But I want you to see the reason for trials. You know what? Why do trials come in our life? When you go through the door of trial, mom, dad, teenager, young person, young adult, university student, when you go through the door of trial, mom, when you go through it and you look up on the other side above the door, is going to be a sign that says, permit by God for a purpose. Everything you go through. You know what? Satan tempts us to destroy us. But thank God, pastor, God tries us to develop us. He's, listen, he's developing you through the trials. Why do they come? Well, number one, they come to make us patient. Look at verse number three. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Listen, folks, if you will respond correctly through the trial, number one, it'll come to make you patient. The word patient literally is a word that means endurance or staying power. Can I say this? This ain't no little 50-yard dash, and I've said it before. When you get saved by the grace of God, you're not in this race for just a few yards. You're in this race till Jesus comes back, and it's going to be like a marathon. And it ain't over until you fall into the lovely, lovely arms of Jesus Christ via the grave or the rapture. It ain't over till that happens. So God puts you through the trials of life to make you patient. To make you patient. But not only that, they come to make you perfect. Look at the next verse. Verse number four says, But let, but let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. So folks, d listen, the trials come, number one, to make us patient, to give us some staying power. Paul told the church in Corinth, Beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abiding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He wants us to have staying power. Hey, listen, at the end of Paul's life, when he went before a kangaroo court, he stood up and he said this to the kangaroo court. He said, none of these things in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, none of these things move me, neither count I like my life dear unto myself, that I may finish my course with joy. Amen. What about you? You going to look like you've been sucking on lemons the rest of your life because you're going through a little trial? Are you going to stand up, broaden your shoulders and say, with God in the boat, it can't sink? Your choice. They come to make us patient, but number two, they come to make us perfect. 
You say, what's the word perfect mean? Most of you know that's not sinless perfection. It literally means stay. It, listen, it literally means not sinlessly perfect, not sinlessly uh, 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 made well. It means to be complete, mature, built up. You know, when my son was two years of age, he used to take stuff and off the table and throw it across the room and go, uh-oh. Take something else off the dresser and throw it off the room. Uh-oh. And everybody would go, that's cute. It ain't cute when he's 16. By the way, it ain't cute when you've been saved 20 years and you over there throwing the keys across the room because things don't go your way, Dad. Mom, when you out there calling the kids and whooping them up one side and down the other when things ain't going your way, that listen, that is not being made perfect through the trial. God puts trials in your life to make you complete mature, not immature. Huh? Y'all, y'all liking that? Y'all ain't liking that, are you? You, you gotta be made mature through the trials. They come to make us patient. They come to make us perfect. That's the reason they come. But can I get to where I really want to park for just about five minutes? I promise I'm going to be real quick because I know most of you want to probably go to the house. But let me tell you real, real quick the response to trials. Can I tell you how you ought to respond to a trial? The reality of trials is this. Number one, they're definite. Number two, they're different. The reason that trials come is number one, to make us patient. The other is to make us perfect, to make us mature. But the third thing I want you to see is how should we respond to trials? The response of trials. Number one, I want you to write these down. you got a pen. Number one, the way you ought to respond to a trial is number one, you ought to consider cheerfully God's will. Look back at verse number 2. Look back at verse number 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy. The word count means to evaluate, to tally up, to take an inventory. Folks, can I say this? Every single time God does something in your life, you ought to evaluate it and you ought to say, God, you didn't make no mistakes and I'm going to cheerfully consider your will for my life. And not bristle up and get mad and kick a wall and kick the tires and kick the kids and you know what I'm saying? You ought to cheerfully consider God's will. How many of you have ever been on a diet? Can I see a raise of hands? Some of you won't, really ain't wanting to admit to that. My daddy was a big fella, and I know I, I didn't take after my daddy's side. I took after my mom's side. My mom's five foot two. My dad was six four, two hundred, and none of your business. All right. But my dad was a big fella. He went on a lot of diets. But I remember my dad never went on a diet, but what he wanted to see an end result. I think everybody goes on a diet and wants to see the end result. Those ladies want to go from being in a 14 to down to a 4, you know. And the men, you know what, they want to, they want to be able to look in the mirror and go, hey, there's a difference there, you know. And, but we always want to see the end result in a diet. My dad said, you know what, he's, any, do y'all have those, those diet shakes here in England? We've got them in America. It's called Slim Fast and stuff like that, you know. I'm going to tell you, that's the raunchiest stuff I ever tasted in my life. But my daddy called me one day, Pastor Larry, and he said, you know what, I found out that that Slim Fast tastes pretty good in ice cream and on top of chocolate cake. <laughs> I said, that'll work now. My dad got one of these juicers. You know these juicers that you can juice everything. You can put a car in it and juice it out and drink it, amen? You can put carrots, tomatoes, celery, lettuce, my dad said, I can't stand this no more, Brian. It's killing me. I can't take it no more. It's nasty. I said, well, Dad, it's good for you. I don't care. I want something that's good that ain't good for me but tastes good. That's usually the way it goes, isn't it? 
Everything that's bad for you tastes really, really good. Do you know what my dad told me, preacher? He said, Brian, I've been kind of experimenting with this juicer. And he said, I found out that if you take a Snickers bar, you can shove that thing through that juicer and it'll go. Now, it'll smoke a little bit, but you just keep on pushing. It'll go on through there. Some of y'all don't know what a Snickers is. That'd be like a Cadbury bar. He said, push a Cadbury nut and fruit bar through there. It'll go. You can juice a, nut, you can juice a fruit and nut bar. But you know what? The reason why people go on diets is because they want to see an end result, correct? God told me one time, he said, I went on two diets. At the same time, I said, why? He said, because I didn't get enough to eat with the first one. I went on a second one. You go on diets to see the end result. Well, you know what? It would really do us well if we see what God was doing and we could know an end result, wouldn't we? Well, we can. Listen, folks, can I ask you a question tonight? Do you think that it was easy for Jesus to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and sweat as it were great drops of blood? Do you think that was easy? Our Savior was in such agony that He sweat great drops of blood praying that not my will, Lord, but thine be done. Can I say this? The will of God ain't always going to be easy. It ain't always going to be easy. But can I promise you this? The Holy Spirit of God will strengthen you to do the will of God. It is God which worketh in you, both to will and do of His good pleasure. So folks, let me tell you something. How should respond to trials? Number one, we should consider cheerfully God's will. But number two, we should cooperate continually with God's work. Consider cheerfully God's will, but number two, cooperate continually with God's work. You say, preacher, what do you mean? I want you to look down at verse number four again. In verse number four it says, but what's the next word? Now, that was partial credit. Let me do it again. But, what does it say? But, let. Alright, let's say it again. Let. We talked about this Sunday. The word let means to allow or to permit. So can I just use this as my alliterated sermon? You need to, listen, you need to consider cheerfully God's will, but number two, you need to, con you need to, you need to cooperate continually with God's work. In, other, in order for you to do that, you've got to allow Him to work in your life. Cooperate continually with God's work. Can I say this, ladies and gentlemen? If you don't pass the test, God will, the lessons God will keep giving you the test. Let me say it again. If you don't pass the lessons, God will keep giving you the test. How many of you heard of a man in the Bible by the name of Joseph? Joseph spent 11 years in prison for doing nothing more than what we're doing here, worshiping his God. He didn't do anything wrong. His, listen, his 10 brothers hated his guts, threw him in a pit to die. They brought him up out of there, sold him into slavery in Egypt. He went into Potiphar's house. A woman, listen, a woman falsely accused him of lying with her. He ran out of the house. He was put in prison. He gave, uh, listen, there 11 years. And when he got out, he went from, prime, listen, he went from prisoner to prime minister. Long and short of it, his brothers still know what to do. And at the end of his life, when Jacob died, they came to him and they said, he still wants to get vengeance on us. And he said, hey brothers, I want you to look me right in the whites of my eyes. He said, what you meant for evil, he said, God meant it for good. You know what? God is in the business of not doing you wrong, but doing you good. And I know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Cooperate continually with God's work. How many of y'all have ever had to go to a physiotherapist for something that you hurt really, really bad? I can tell you this, folks. I was, I was snow skiing in uh, the Colorado Rockies about five and a half, six years ago. 
and I was going down a hill and was going just a little bit faster than you're supposed to, probably about 83 mile an hour. And I'm going down this ski slope, and you know, bindings on skis are set to where if you fall, they're supposed to come off. Well, guess what? My bindings were set at six. I figured if I fall, they're going to come off. Well, guess what? They didn't. I hit a patch of ice. I flipped. The first thing I hit was, bam, my left shoulder. It went, pow. And I'm telling you, it sounded like a banjo string popping. I figured, you know, I'm going to get up and just get back down on my skis. And I got up, and I was like, I ain't skiing no more. When I got to the, to the ski lot, I said, something's not right. Thank the Lord we had a chiropractor that was with us. He told me some, some, uh, uh, some motions to do with my arm to keep it from getting uh, stove up, is what word we use in the South, getting stove up and getting kind of restricted. And so he told me those things. Went back when we got home from the trip to North Carolina. I went to the doctor, Dave, and the doctor said this. He said, Brian, you haven't broken anything, but you've done something worse than that. The ligaments in your rotor cuff have been hyperextended because literally, folks, I could stare and it looked like it looked like Mount Everest on my left shoulder. It was sticking straight up. And I said, there's got to be something broken there. He said, it ain't broke. He said, the ligaments are stretched or hyperextended. He said, but we're going to have to do some physical therapy to get that to where it's good again. He said, but it's going to take about eight weeks for us to do that. I said, eight weeks? Man, I got a golf tournament in two, two weeks. And I'm playing in it. He said, no, you ain't. I said, Doc, is there any way? I was almost like, yes, please, Doc, please tell me there's two weeks you can get it done. He said, Brian, it's going to take eight weeks. And I'll never forget, Pastor Larry, what he told me. He said, Brian, will you cooperate with me? I said, well, I guess so. We got done with those eight weeks, and guess what, Neil? I went into the office, and I said, hey, Doc, we ready to go. It's been eight weeks now. He looked at it, and he said, nope. Four more weeks. I went, you got to be kidding me. You know, really, really learning patience, perfection through all of this. And I will never forget what he said. He said, Brian, will you cooperate with me? Every visit, Steve, that I went back, I didn't say anything. The first words out of my mouth when we got in the office, we didn't say, hey, how you doing? How's your week been? The first thing I said to him, Dave, every week I went back was, Doc, I'm here to cooperate with you. You don't know why? Because he knew more about it than I did. Now let me say this. God knows more about the trial in your life than you do. And it's not your job to bristle up and question every single thing God's doing. It's your job to have faith in God, to believe that He said, I will take care of you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I'm doing it for your good and my glory, Brian. Do the best you can to cooperate with me. You consider cheerfully God's will. Number two, you cooperate continually with God's work. But number three, won't you look at verse number five? It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, folks, the way you respond to a trial is, number one, you consider cheerfully God's will. Number two, you cooperate continually with God's work. But number three, you call confidently for God's wisdom. Confidently for God's wisdom. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call upon me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You know what I found out, folks? If you will be humble enough... To say, God, I don't understand it all. I know you do. He'll open up winds of heaven, shower down a blessing on you that you won't even be able to receive it. Psalm 34 verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 says, Rejoice evermore. 
And listen to me, folks. Listen, John, uh, Paul told the church in Philippi, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, now your face didn't match what you just said. Come on now. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, So you've got to call confidently for God's wisdom. Let me tell you something, folks. We serve a liberal giver. He will give to every single person that says, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to take care of this. I can't make my bills. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got a dear brother come by to talk to me, and I don't know the words to say. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of me, and I'll give you that. You call confidently for God's wisdom. But I'd be remiss if I, didn't, if I left out verse number 12. Very quickly, I want you to look at verse number 12. We've seen the reality of trials. We've seen the reason for trials. We've seen the response to trials. But can I tell you this? Can I tell you about the reward for a trial? The reward for a trial. Folks, look at what it says. Blessed or happy is the man who endureth temptation, for when he is tried. You know what Job wrote at the end of his life? He said, Lord, you know the way that I take. You know the way that I take. How many of y'all believe God knows what He's doing? Start living like it. He knoweth the way that I take. And when He hath tried me, put me to the test, put me in the fire, when He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The reward for trials. Now, I don't know if y'all have this in the UK. I don't think you do. But in America, it is becoming more popular than anything besides the NFL in our country. It's called NASCAR. Now, auto racing is not my cup of tea, so to speak. No pun intended. It's not my cup of tea. I really don't like NASCAR that much. I don't like going to a racetrack and watching something go around a track 432 times at the same speed. If I want to do that, I'll go to the laundromat, put in two quarters, watch my laundry go around and around until it's dry. But folks, I went through a place in Alabama, pastor knows where it's at, it's called Talladega. When we went to Talladega, they took us for a tour. We got to the end of that tour, long and short of it, we went to a thing, Panos, called the Winner's Circle. I don't know why they call it a circle, because it's really a square. But anyway, you go to the, win you go to the Winner's Circle... And that's where the car that wins drives up, gets out, and everybody says, woohoo, won a race, and the next day everybody goes to work, and it really don't matter. Basically, that's what it is. But you know what, Steve? The guy said, when this guy right here is at the winner's circle, he gets the next tail cup, he gets the winner's cup, he gets a large sum of money for winning the race. And guess what, folks? Everybody else in that race doesn't matter if they were in the lead lap or doesn't matter if they were five laps down. Once he goes across and the checker flag's waved, everybody else stops racing. Nobody else finishes the race. And while I'm there, I'm thinking the whole time, Carl, not about that winter circle, but about when I stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords at the Bema seat. Do you know, and I've said it last night, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single believer in this room, if you've claimed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will stand before the Bema seat. If you hadn't, you're going to stand before the great white throne. But for a believer, the reward for trials is this. Any man that endures, any woman that endures the temptations and the trials of this life with joy shall receive a crown of life. Now, folks, I don't know if y'all saw this, but years ago, you can close your Bible, I'm done with this. Years ago, I believe it was back in 96, at the Olympics, 
there was a Olympic, uh, a marathon runner. And I believe it was a lady. I'm pretty sure it was the, the women's division. She was running and she had gotten cramps or something and everybody else had finished. And here she comes almost two hours behind everybody else. And she comes into the track. It comes into the, to the uh, stadium, the Coliseum. And she is literally some parts of it, Carl. She's crawling. She gets up. She falls back down. You can see her legs straightened out like that. She's got a cramp. She can't do nothing. She's bleeding. Her elbows are bleeding and everything. And all of a sudden there's a couple people that right there beside of her and they're trying to just to, to coach her on. And to, Keep on running, and she finally gets across there. You know what? She didn't win nothing that day, but she had some friends that embraced her, and they loved her and said, Way to go! You didn't quit. Can I say this, folks? There's somebody standing at the finish line of the race called the Christian life that when you get there, listen, you may not come in first place, but can I tell you, every single Christian wins when they go across the finish line in heaven. You're going to be crowned to take that crown off in humility and cast it back at Jesus' feet. Now, you know what? Every single believer in here, you're going through trials and testings. And can I say this? The tests that you're going through, you're not left to your own devices. You have a book, a, a listen, a manual, a guidebook, if you will, to take you through these tests. And I would hate to know that we got to heaven and failed an open book test. You can open this book and you can read it and you can get the answers to the questions of life and why you go through these trials. And if you, if, listen, if you don't have the wisdom, God said, ask me and I'll give it to you. The reality of trials. The reason for trials. The response to trials. How do we respond? I'll tell you this, we ought to respond differently than people out there that don't have Him. Hello? But the reward for a trial is this, you're going to receive a crown of life. Song puts it this way. Songwriter said, I work so hard for Jesus, I often boast and say, I sacrificed a lot of things to walk the narrow way. I gave up fame and fortune. I'm worth a lot to thee. But then I heard him gently say to me, and Jesus said, I left my throne in glory and counted it but loss. They nailed my hands in anger upon the cruel cross. So now we'll take this journey with your hands safe in mind. Just lift your cross and follow close to me. Every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. Can I ask a question or not as Miss Shelley makes her way to the piano? You're in this room tonight and there's not a shadow of a doubt in your mind. You say, preacher, I know, I know I'm saved. I know I've been bought with a price. I know that my sins have been forgiven. I've claimed Christ as my Savior, not church membership, not religion, not baptism, not the Lord's Supper, not good works, but just His Son to cleanse me. And I've claimed Him as my Savior and I can raise my hand right now. I know I'm saved on my way to heaven. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Is there somebody in this room that would be willing to let me pray for you and say, Preacher, you know what? I'm concerned about my eternal, my eternal condition. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure I would. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that would just, just slip it up and then put it back down? I want to pray for you. 
Is there anybody like that? Just say, preacher, will you pray for me? God bless you. Anybody else say, preacher, will you pray for me? I'm not sure, but I want to. I'm just not sure I would. And I want you to pray for me. Anybody else like that? All right. I'm going to pray for you. Hey, friend. How have you taken care of the trials of this life? Have you bristled up? Have you not been made patient or perfect through them? God says, I'm doing everything in your life to make you more like Jesus. How have you responded to trials? Have you considered cheerfully God's will? Have you continually, listen, cooperated with God's work? Have you called confidently for God's wisdom? If you don't have it, God said, ask me, I'll give it to you. He's a liberal giver. If you go through the trial with joy, God says, I've got a crown of life waiting for you. Don't you want to hear the Lord say, well done when you get to heaven? How have you handled the trials in your life? Say, preacher, pray for me. I want God to give me strength and victory in some of the areas, these trials in my life. And right now I'm going through a valley and God knows about it. And Lord, I'm not trying to hide it from anybody, but I want this preacher to pray for me. And you just lift up your hand and say, preacher, will you pray for me? I'm going through a trial. I want you to pray. God bless you. Hands all over. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you such. Thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now that we'll realize the words we sang tonight. Faith is the victory that overcometh these things, the trials, the tribulations, these multicolored testings that come in our life. Help us to realize, Lord, that these things come into our life to make us look more like our precious Savior. Lord, help us to not lift things up to You with clenched fists, but help us to do it with open hands and say, God, all to you I surrender, not freely loan, but freely give to you. Lord, help those that are going through a trial, going through a valley right now to realize that you said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I thank you for your precious promise tonight, Lord that you said you would never leave us nor forsake us and you're with us always, even unto the end of the world. And I'm thankful that we serve the one tonight that said all power is given unto me in heaven and earth and you set at the right hand make an intercession for the saints. So Lord, I pray right now that you would comfort them where they're at in the valley. For that we'll praise you for the one that raised his hand. Lord, that he wasn't saved, I pray that you would help that person to understand that they don't have to go through life hoping or thinking they can know that they have eternal life because you said, I defeated death and hell. For these things, we'll love you and praise you for what you do in our midst tonight because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.